Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode 30. That's right, the big 3-0. It's pretty exciting. The podcast turns 10 more episodes older today. I don't want to say it's a, you know, I can't say it's a decade older. That's when it be technically correct. I'm not sure there's a word to describe 10. It's just a numerical value. But <laughs> anyway, the, ep- the, po- the podcast is 10 episodes older today, get in- into our 30s, pretty exciting. And to kick off the 30s, I was joined by Access Fund's policy analyst, Kurt Shannon. It was awesome chatting with Kurt. Ch- Kurt has been focused on protecting the climbing around Oak Flat for nearly a decade now. Oak Flat is an amazing world-class climbing area east of Phoenix, and it's been under threat of being turned into a copper mine for almost 20 years now, 15, 20 years. The Access Fund's been working on this issue with many other allies to protect the, the world-class climbing resources there as well as very important religious and cultural resources as well that's highly valued by local indigenous tribes around the area. Kurt and I go over many notable and significant events that have happened over the years since his time joining in, joining on this issue, and since the Access Fund's been on it. Uh, a lot of things have kind of kind of happened over the years that's, that's really influenced the fate and the outcome of uh, of Oak Flat. There's been some lows, there's been some highs, and as of recent, last month in March, we did catch a little bit of a break as climbers. And Kurt really expressed his optimism for the direction in which things are headed right now. It's really encouraging to see, but we certainly aren't across the finish line yet. The fight still continues, and things aren't done until they're done. And if you want to learn some more, jump on Access Fund's website, do a quick search in their blog, and you'll find dozens of articles on Oak Flat. They've been shouting Oak Flat from mountaintops for for many years now. So after you get done listening to the episode, jump on there, read up some more on everything that's going on with Oak Flat. It's uh, it's it's a little involved. We get into a lot here in the episode, so I want to jump in, jump in and get things going. But before we jump into the episode, one real quick fact check that Kurt wanted me to mention here is towards the very end of the episode, he mentions HR 1834. It's actually supposed to be HR 
1884, House Resolution 1884. You'll understand more about that after you listen to the episode, but just want to do a quick fact check there. I threw that uh, a link to that in the show notes as well. I got a bunch of other links in there, so take some time to check those out. But let me uh, step aside and introduce Kurt, Access Funds Policy Analyst and Oak Flat Guru. Enjoy. I'm sure the climbing in Arizona is a lot better. Would you concur with that? Well, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's easier to get access to year-round climbing here, you know, because of the right the weather. Win, winter climbing is kind of our prime season here if you live around around Phoenix. But in the summer, it's it's easy access to the to the high country, uh, you know, up around Flagstaff and Payson and some of those area other areas. It's a lot lot cooler, like easily thirty or thirty five degrees cooler than Phoenix up there in the summer. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not sure what the elevation difference is, but I know it's much higher. And I've passed through Flagstaff once before, but didn't get to climb anything. But Paradise Forks is pretty high on my list, and uh, I don't. I just never. I've never climbed in Arizona, and I know I'm missing out on some world class climbing. Well, let me know when you head down here. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> so yeah, when I shipped you that the uh, the microphone, it said Gold Canyon. Uh, Arizona and I was like, Gold Canyon. I've heard of the Grand Canyon, but I'm not familiar with Gold Canyon. Where Where are you? Like, where are you? Where are you based out of? Yeah, Gold Gold Canyon is. Uh, I guess you'd you'd call it the Far East Valley. It's uh, if you know where Mesa, Arizona is, you go uh, east of there and you hit Apache Junction and you go east of there and that's Gold Canyon. So we're we're basically right at the uh, southern edge of the Superstition Mountains. Okay, so then that's that's near Phoenix, right? Yeah, it's a Phoenix, a, a distant Phoenix suburb. Well, cool. Yeah, east uh, eastern Phoenix. So you're, I mean, you're you're close to Oak Flat, right? Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons I moved here. Actually, it's uh, like if you go east from here, the you know we're on the very edge of the Phoenix metro area, and and the next thing you hit going further east is the town of Superior, and uh, that's that's right by Oak Flat. Gotcha. Well, we'll uh, we're going to speak about Oak Flat in uh, an extensive amount of time today, so we'll save that here for a minute. But uh, what's a bit of your, I want to learn some more about your about yourself, Kurtz. I've I've gotten to know a lot of your colleagues over the years at the Access Fund, uh, particularly Jenna and Zachary, Ty and Eric, and I think you've now you're going to round out the uh, the policy team for me with our conversation today. I've I've had uh, Jason and Eric on in the past, so excited to talk to you today about Oak Flat. But yeah, we talked about your time in Spokane and stuff. Like, when did climbing come into your into your life, and how long you've been doing it for? Well, I'm I'm the Access Funds token old old fart, so uh, I've <laughs> I'm 65 now, and I've been I've been climbing since the late 1970s. Wow. So, uh, and I, I started where I grew up back in Minnesota, where there's not, not a heck of a lot to climb, but, uh, you know, a lot of other climbers like Brady Robinson fr- from the Access Fund are, are from Minnesota. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been at it for uh, well over 40 years. That's awesome. Where'd you, where'd you head out after Minnesota? I, uh, in 1981, I, uh, Took a job in the material science department at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and uh, I, I noticed right away there were a lot more climbing opportunities, uh, you know, near Los Angeles than there were near Minneapolis. 
Yeah, I mean, Joshua Tree is not far, Stony Point, and uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I I know about a bunch of stuff around the area. I can't list them exhaustively, but yeah, the just the western western uh, U.S. is better than the mid. I'm from the Midwest as well, from the Chicago area, and Devil's Lake is not too far from me in Wisconsin. But I've never been there in Southern Illinois. I know it's stacked with a lot of, not a lot, but a pretty good amount of climbing. Not too far from the red either. Yeah, I, I went to. Uh, I made a lot of trips to to Devil's Lake. You know, from Minneapolis. That's that's also uh, a reasonable a reasonable drive. Yeah, and I've also bouldered at uh, Dixon Springs since you meant, uh, mentioned Southern Illinois. Dixon Springs. I've heard of like Jackson Falls. I don't, I'm not familiar with Dixon Springs. Yeah, I've not. I've not been to Jackson Falls, but I understand there's a lot of lot of places with good, good single pitch stuff and good bouldering in Southern Illinois. Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel obligated to go check it out sometime, just because I'm from the state. I mean, I'm from like Chicago, you know, way up north, uh, far from there. But I feel obligated to some degree to go to go check it out sometime. What about uh, your professional pursuits? Uh, you're the policy senior policy analyst, I believe, is your official title now. Uh, have you been? Were you an environmental lawyer in the past? Did you go to school for law and policy and stuff? What's uh, what's that look like for you? Yeah, no, not at all. I, I kind of fell into the uh, the policy work with the access fund because of the Oak Flat issue. Um, I, you know, by training, you know, my my job at in the material science department at USC was because I was, uh, you know, my, my background in training is electrical engineering and specifically material science. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I ended up, I, I started out my professional career doing uh, about 10 years of research and development in a process called molecular beam epitaxy, which is uh, <laughs> a method by which you can grow very thin layers of compound semiconductors easily. Wow. And, uh, you know, tip, typically the, the compound semiconductor that most people know is gallium arsenide. And, uh, you know, your, your cell phone wouldn't work if it were not for the, uh, the, the high speed, low noise receivers uh, that, are, that are in, you know, gallium arsenide receivers that are in your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's this kind of funny double standard i think about sometimes we talked about extractive uses on public lands and 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 beyond and just so many of these things that we take for granted every day needs those kind of materials to to fully function right yeah that's that's right and you know that sort of by reference you know to the to the copper mine that we're talking about you know the access fund is not uh not in any way an anti-mining organization. You know, we just happen to feel that there are appropriate and inappropriate places to to build mines, and this, in our opinion, is a very inappropriate place. Right, right. Well, that's a great segue. Let's uh, let's jump into it, Kurt. I wanted to have you on today to talk about Oak Flat. Uh, you're an Oak Flat guru, Oak Flat savant <laughs> of sorts. I know that you were brought on with the Access Fund to address this issue, and it's been going on for almost a couple of decades now, 15 plus years. And 
And if you haven't heard about Oak Flat and the issues surrounding the climbing resources there, the indigenous resources there, I mean, it might have been, you might have been living in a cave or under a rock. <laughs> and when I Googled, or sorry, when I uh, searched Oak Flat and the Access Funds blog and the website, like almost 40 articles, I think something like that came up. And so I did some good perusing of those to get myself familiar with the timeline of sorts of how these events have, have uh, f- unfolded over the last 10, 15, 20 years, however long it's been going on for. So let's jump into it. I would love to learn some more just about Oak Flat from like a 30,000 foot level here. Um, I, I I think this place might get overshadowed a bit by the climbing around Tucson or Flagstaff, as we talked about just a little bit ago. Uh, can you talk about its location, its size, the type of climbing resources that are there, The anything else that you might find pertinent to for the listeners to understand what Oak Flat's all about? Okay. Well, um, yeah, it's important to note that Oak Flat is, uh, it's by far and away the largest climbing and bouldering area uh, within easy access of Phoenix. So that's, that's one reason why the Access Fund has been involved in this, you know, from day one is because, you know, our mission statement is to protect climbing, you know, and, and the climbing environment. And Um, if Oak Flat is lost, it will represent the single largest loss of a climbing resource in the history of the United States on public land. So, so the loss would be immense and it's not only the, the quantity of climbing, it's, it's the fact that, you know, all that climbing is within an hour's drive of the fifth largest metropolitan area in the United States. So, so it's very convenient to get to. And, and there's a lot of good climbing there. Uh, yeah, it would just be a tragic loss if, if this mine project goes forward. So you're using a, they're using a particular process to, this, this mining company is going to use a particular process to extract this copper from the ground, right? Going kind of underneath. Could you explain that block caving process a little bit? Yeah, block, block caving is a, is a process that's used by mining companies when when the ore deposit is too deep to do open pit mining, <laughs> normally, you know, if the if the ore is near the surface, they'll just start mining from the surface and, and go down to where it is. But in this case, the the ore body is seven thousand feet under the ground, <laughs> and wow. so they they can't remove all of that what's what's called overburdened rock to get down. From the top. So what they do instead is they they build a series of, of drifts and tunnels that go underneath the ore body, and then they blast it and let gravity cave that material in, uh, and then they they gather it up and uh, and crush it and turn it into concentrate and so on. <laughs> but but the result. The, the, long t- the long-term result of block caving is very similar to open pit mining. When you remove a, a vast amount of material from underground uh, and, and the ore caves in, the, the surface also has to cave in. And Resolution Copper, by their own estimates, say that after 40 years of mining, we're going to have a, a crater, uh, subsidence crater is, is what they call it in mining terminology, it's about two two miles across and over a thousand feet deep. So so what that would mean is that all all of the rock climbs there at Oak Flat and all of the boulder problems and there's 
probably several hundred, you know, sport climbs and thousands of boulder problems. All of those would, you know, tumble into this huge subsidence crater. And, you know, as bad as that sounds, you know, from a climbing perspective, that that will also destroy all, all of the uh, areas that are of religious importance and cultural importance to the Native American tribes in central Arizona. And it will also really mess with the water table. Uh, so, so there's, you know, lots, lots and lots of problems with this particular mine plan. Wow. Yeah, lots at stake here. Uh, it goes beyond just rock climbing in our immediate interests. But it will also include those tribal interests as well. And I know you've been collaborating with tribal leaders over the years, and I'd love to hear some more about that in a little bit. Uh, what's the uh, what's Oak Flat? Is it? I think I read it maybe like twenty five hundred acres or so. Uh, the, the the land that uh, Resolution Copper would get in this land exchange is about twenty four hundred acres. I also read that Oak Flat was recognized. 60 years ago during the Eisenhower area is a very important recreational area and should be withdrawn from mining activities via a federal executive order. So how did we get go from that 60 years ago, fast forward to, I think about 2007-ish, when this Land Exchange Act was, was trying to get passed? Like how, how did this whole thing start and, and how? When did it come to like onto Access Funds Radar? Well, that's yeah. The, we we first became aware of uh, of of the issue in two thousand four. Uh, we used to we would go out there climbing and, and bouldering, and we would always talk to this uh, older gentleman who was the camp host, and he was he was a former miner from North Dakota. Uh, he would come down and and spend the winters at Oak Flat, and we were we were talking to him one day after climbing. And he said, uh, hey, you guys know that uh, they're going to move this campground down the road and make a, a huge copper mine here, don't you? And, and we said, no, <laughs> no, what? <laughs> no, tell us, tell us more about that. Yeah. So, so that's when it, it first got on our, our radar. And uh, yeah, as you say, the, uh, you know, the area has been protected since 1955 by executive order. Uh, which withdraws the the area from all mineral ex- exploration or mining activities, and and that's specifically why Resolution Copper went to Congress. The normal the normal way of initiating a land exchange would be to ask the agency, in this case the United States Forest Service, if if they would you know exchange this land with the copper under it for some other land. And, and mining companies did that multiple times throughout the 1960s and 1970s. And each time the Forest Service came back to the mining companies and said, you know, after looking at this, uh, that campground is still just as heavily used now as it was when it was withdrawn. So therefore, no, we're not going to we're not going to vacate the withdrawal. So, so when you go to Congress, though, if you can get Congress to write a law that mandates the land exchange, then that, you know, and, and you get it passed through Congress, then that automatically vacates the, uh, the, the withdrawal. It, if the land becomes private property 
of resolution copper, then that withdrawal is, is null and void anymore. So they proposed, or this act was proposed and put together called the Southeast Arizona Land Exchange and Conservation Act. I always think that's kind of funny how some of these acts and bills are, are worded. You know, they throw the word conservation in there. I think it, on the surface, it seems, it sounds kind of appealing, but I guess when you start reading into it, it's it's complete opposite, I guess. And I feel like that was that happened similarly a handful of years ago with uh, Representative uh, Chavitz, I think, when he was trying to do some big uh, exchange or, or public lands going into, into private uh, hands. I forget what the legislation was called. Anyway, I digress. Uh, can we talk about that act specifically, the South, the Southeast Arizona Land Exchange and Conservation Act a bit? And can you explain yeah, how that land exchange, what the proposal looked like? Well, yeah, as I, as I said before, uh, just a minute ago, that uh, Resolution Copper decided to go straight to Congress because they realized that working through the agency wasn't going to get them anywhere. And so they, they found a, a congressman uh, for that district, Rick Renzi at the time, uh, who was willing to uh, introduce the land exchange bill into the House. That So that, that went on. That was the first of 12 various bills that were proposing uh, to exchange the land. Uh, there were 12 bills over 10 years, uh, and that's that's because some bills were introduced in the Senate and some into the House, and a couple of years there, it was introduced into both the Senate and the House. That's how you get 12 bills out of out of 10 years. But but the important thing here is that uh, it never passed. You know, through through Republican administrations and Democratic administrations, Republican controlled Congress, Democratic controlled Congress, those bills never never managed to pass and become law, and. So it, it became pretty clear that that bill, because it represented bad legislation and there was a lot of opposition to it, that bill was never going to pass through Congress on its own merits. And so what, what happened in December of 2014, it was the end of, of that particular Congress and there was a lands package being put together and John McCain, who you know, was a very powerful Republican senator, managed to use his influence to get that bill included in this land exchange package. And that land exchange package was inserted into the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2015. Right. Uh, and, you know, those NDAAs, you know, it's it's an appropriation authorization and it funds our military. So, so every year that that has to pass and it has to be signed into law so that it's called must pass legislation. And that's, that's how the Oak flat land exchange, uh, you know, be, became law. And, you know, it, in spite of, you know, what Republicans are saying these days, you know, that, that the land exchange passed with bipartisan support, uh, you know, overwhelmingly that's, you know, that, that's very, very misleading. You know, the, the NDAA always passes with bipartisan support overwhelmingly. And the fact that this completely unrelated rider was attached to it uh, does not speak to the popularity of, of that bill at all. Typically, these uh, land exchange packages, uh, 
they don't contain anything that's, uh, you know, very, very controversial like like this bill was. It's it's typically, you know, these packages are put together so that all of the senators who have to approve this in committee are getting something out of it. Uh, And there's nothing in there that they really don't want to see in there. It's typically more plain vanilla type type things. Uh, this this on the other hand was very controversial, and and in fact uh, uh, the NDAA had a uh, rules committee hearing, uh, and one one of the and this this so this is in the House of Representatives. Uh, Representative Tom Cole, uh, who's a Republican uh, from Oklahoma. He went so far as to say that, uh, you know, this bill should have gone to the floor of the House and it should have been voted on up or down. Uh, The Republicans pulled the bill because they knew it wasn't going to pass. And and he said, so including this in the package actually subverts the will of the House of Representatives. That's that's how strongly he felt about it. Yeah, that's crazy. It took seven years or so for to get this thing uh get this thing passed uh, th- through different through different congresses it's pretty it's pretty amazing that there's um just didn't seem to line up for people uh to to get across the finish line so when did your when did your involvement uh start in this and when did you get put on uh put on the team with the access fund to to start working on this issue well i i stir i first started working on this uh with a group of local climbers, we, we formed the Friends of Queen Creek, which was a, you know, a local climbing organization with the, uh, with the specific purpose of, of trying to save Oak Flat from becoming a copper mine. And one of the things we did very early on was to contact the, uh, the access fund for, you know, a little bit of guidance and, uh, so the policy director then was Jason Keith, who you who you know, uh, and so he he came down and met with us, and very very early on, like uh, in two thousand five, we started going back to Washington D.C. and and lobbying uh, Congress and the various agencies like the the Forest Service. Uh, you know, against this land exchange. So that's, that's kind of how I, how I got my, my start. And, um, what, year, what, what year was that? What year was the friends of the queen? That would have been founded? 2005. Okay. So right after you heard, shortly after you heard about the, the campground and a potential copper mine going in. Right. Yeah. And we also, you know, we talked directly to the bill sponsor, Rick Renzi and, uh, and, and his staff. And, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, that's an interesting story in and of itself. You know, he's, uh, he was very attentive and very willing to listen to us. Uh, he, he went to federal prison, you know, for trying to get, uh, a piece of land exchange, uh, it, it included in the exchange that was owned by a, a buddy of his in which he had a financial interest. So, uh, Wow. Yeah, he was he was, you know, kind of a, a <laughs> nice guy, but unfortunately a criminal also. <laughs> yeah, a little shady. <laughs> wow. I, that's that's the last thing I was expecting you to say. 
So Friends of King, Queen Creek, 2005. And then after that, Access Fund several years later, right? Yeah. I mean, there, there were a few intermediate steps, too. There were some other local climbing organizations that, uh, that were formed. Uh, also, the, the Queen Creek Coalition was kind of a, just a natural expansion of the Friends of Queen Creek. Then uh, the, the Queen Creek Coalition went through a, sort of a, a schism where the uh, board of directors split. And the Queen Creek Coalition today fully supports the mine project um, in exchange for getting money from Resolution Copper, which supposedly will be used to protect other local climbing areas that are you know, not at Oak Flat. Yeah. And... And the rest of the board, you know, we, we couldn't do that. We couldn't support anything in exchange for money that would lead to the destruction of Oak Flat. So we, we split off from the QCC and, and formed the Concerned Climbers of Arizona, which, which wow. is still, you know, opposed, opposed to the land exchange, as is the access fund. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. It was just a split and you had to form a different entity to represent the values that you still hold. That's crazy. That's crazy to me. Yeah, it, it you know, it, it all depends on how you look at the question. If you put, if you put a, a hundred climbers in a room and, and you said, you know, wouldn't you like to protect Oak Flat and be able to climb there, you know, in perpetuity, you'd probably get a hundred people to say yes. Uh, but, but if you ask the same hundred climbers, you know, if you said, you know, this copper mine is is inevitable, it's going to happen. Wouldn't you like to get some compensation for climbers since we're going to lose it anyway? You know, then then you'd probably find most of the climbers agreeing with that also. So it so it all depends on how you look at it. Fair enough. No, that's that's a that's a good perspective. Thanks for thanks for providing that. Uh, two interesting perspectives depending on how it's framed it's uh it's a it's a good way of looking at it um and the, the climbing that you mentioned that would be protected and almost like in exchange i read something about a state park being formed that would that would protect those climbing resources is that the same thing you're talking about uh you, no not not exactly i mean that that idea you know there there was resolution copper hired a few local climbers and then the, and then they brought in a, a fellow named John Sherman you know who's a kind of prolific boulderer and uh, you know one of the prime developers of Waco tanks in in Texas and and they hired him to to look for you know some unknown undiscovered climbing area that resolution copper could buy and then and then include as one of the parcels, you know, so that climbing. So, in, in other words, they they hired him to try to mitigate for the loss of of climbing resources, and he ended up finding some some nice rock, some quartzite. You know, south south of uh, Oak Flat, a ways uh, called Mount Tamashanter, and there there was some talk about um, creating a state park there, and. You know, this, the, uh, my understanding is the Arizona state parks were somewhat interested, but um, it, it would have cost Arizona state parks something like $16 million, which 
you know, they, they were never going to put that kind of money into it. You know, the, the access to Mount Tamashanter, besides crossing some private property, which they'd have to find a way around it, it requires, uh, you know, very high clearance. It, it's a very bad, rough road. And so there would have to be, you know, that, that access would have to be figured out. Uh, and then, you know, staffing a, a state park there, it, it just, it was unrealistically, I think, uh, optimistic to think that the state of Arizona was going to put that kind of money into a, you know, a climbing park for, for us. Yeah. Well, I was wondering what the, what the other resources found were, were like. It's, yeah, John Sherman, and you mentioned it, you know, of course, so many folks know his name, including myself. And, and uh, just what's the, yeah, what's the quality of, of the rock that was found that could be used in exchange? I mean, to, I would like to think that most rock climbing areas aren't like mutually exclusive of each other. Uh, no, no two areas are exactly the same. So it was like, was it a fair trade? I mean, you got to get like a pilot, you got to get another vantage or something for, <laughs> in exchange for, for Oak Flat. Uh, I don't know. It just, it seemed kind of iffy to me. Well, our, you know, our, our position is, and there's nothing wrong with the, you know, the, the, the quartzite out at, uh, Tamo is, uh, you know, very, very good. Actually, it's, uh, there, there's no problem with the, with the rock quality. It, it's more of an issue that, you know, first of all, instead of being within 50 miles of, of central Phoenix, this is like a two or three hour drive away. So, so it, it's not the same kind of area where you can, you know, load your entire family into the car and be out there in an hour and boulder for a few hours and then drive back in time for dinner. It's, you know, it, it's at least a whole day situation uh, with a bad access road. And then, you know, just philosophically, the, the access fund, we're, we're not in the business of trading away one climbing area to get another one. You know, our our mission is to protect climbing areas. So there was, yeah, that, that it just didn't work for us. What is, uh, what is your day to day kind of looked like in this job, in this position as the senior policy analyst for this, for this, uh, for this issue around Oak flat? Um, what's, what's involved, what's your job responsibilities and duties to, uh, to help protect this area? Well, I, I guess my, my initial, answer would be there there's no such thing as a, a day-to-day routine you know it's a, it's always something different you know when the uh, final environmental impact statement was was published that by by law by the land exchange act that became law that that started a 60-day clock ticking within which uh, the Forest Service had to convey to resolution copper, uh, the land at Oak Flat. So, you know, there was a flurry of activity right then. There were lawsuits filed, you know, by us with a coalition of, of environmental organizations, uh, and then other lawsuits filed by Indian tribes and, you know, in an attempt to, to make that not happen. Uh, in the end, when the Biden ad- administration came in, uh, they decided to withdraw the publication of the environmental impact statement because it was deficient in in so many ways. 
So, so right now we're, you know, we're just waiting, you know, they, we, there's going to be additional consultation with, uh, Native American tribes and hopefully, uh, you know, the Forest Service is going to insist that all of these deficiencies and shortcomings in the final EIS are, are corrected and they're going to have to go back and look at a bunch of environmental impacts that they didn't in the, in the first final EIS, if you want to call it that. And uh, so that, that's, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis, you know, we, we, the Access Fund works very closely with for example, the Sierra Club, the Center for Biological Diversity, Earthworks, uh, the ITAA, which is the Intertribal Association of Arizona, which is a coalition of 21 of the 22 tribes in, yep. in Arizona. So we, you know, we, we have weekly Zoom meetings where we talk about strategy and what's going on that week. And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my life these days. <laughs> so yeah, lots of collaboration. I know there's a lot of entities involved here and you, I, I'm interested, uh, or the, sorry, real quick before I move topics just a little bit, but that EIS that you mentioned, the environmental impact statement, it's part of the NEPA process. We talked about NEPA a bunch on the, on the, on the show before. And this, this EIS was put in, uh, was like submitted in 2020, just before the Trump administration was coming to a close. That's right. Yeah. The final and, and we we were on a Zoom call with the with the Forest Service where we we were told by the Forest Service that uh, you know I'm surprised they said this but they they said that uh, from the highest levels of the Department of Agriculture they were told to publish the EIS uh, when when they did and that was like really early wasn't it Yeah it was it was almost a year early. Um, so, so that's, that's, you know, in part why they didn't have a chance to look at a lot of things they should have looked at. They, they pulled this in like 12 months from, from the expected completion date that, that was published earlier. Yeah, that, that was clearly just an attempt to start that 60-day clock. You know, it, it, it should, these, these things shouldn't be political. You know, the EIS process should just, you know, the NEPA process should just run its course and when, when the thing is really finished and they've answered all of the questions and looked at all the potential impacts, then that's when the thing should be published. But, you know, we, we've seen politics come come to bear now in, in both the publication and, and the withdrawal of the publication of, of this particular EIS. Mm-hmm. Did, that, did that come out of a, rule, a NEPA rule change that happened uh, when, was that when Zinke was was around? During his time, was there a NEPA rule change back then? Yeah, that although that that didn't come to come to play in this particular case. You know, they they decided that uh, you know the Zinke rule change sort of applied to things that were uh, to EIS projects that were begun after that date, and and since this one had already begun years earlier, uh, they they did not specifically try to use any of uh zinke's proposed changes on on this particular eis gotcha okay thanks for the clarification appreciate that let's see where are we i'm uh, looking at i put together a little bit of a timeline here uh you know after reading through several 
blog posts on the Access Fund's website. So I was trying to piece together a, a, a rough timeline of, of events since 2004, 2007, when things were starting to pick up some steam. Uh, you came out in 2012. And then December 2014 was the bill that we talked about to uh, vacate that executive order and transfer the land to this uh, mining conglomerate. And that was signed into law. And I read in 2016 that the National Park Service added Oak Flat to the National Register of Historic Places. So how do could you can you speak on that at all and how things were navigated around this additional like layer of protection almost? Yeah, I I guess sure. That and that was for, you know, unlike the original withdrawal uh which was for, you know, to establish a a picnic area and campground uh, the the listing on on the National Register of Historic Places was something uh, specifically uh, that the Native American tribes were looking for. That that was mm. something. It, it's on the on the National Register specifically because of the religious and cultural significance uh, to to the tribes in, in the area. Um, a lot of background work was done, a lot of archaeology, and it turns out that the Oak Flat area is significant to several central Arizona tribes, both prehistorically and historically, uh, and that, that's why it's on the, uh, on the register. Um, when, when you mention additional protection, uh, un- unfortunately, it doesn't really do that. Um, Mm. It, you know, some people have called for the the president, uh, you know, now Biden. And before, when it was Obama, some people were calling for him to declare uh, Oak Flat to be a national monument, you know, to make a national monument. But that that also would not protect the area because national monuments do not extinguish uh, pre- previously established valid mining rights. And, and the same thing's true with, with the uh, listing on the National Register. You know, it, it doesn't, you know, except in the, in the, in the minds of the people, you know, it, it, it sounds much worse to most people that the mine is going to destroy a sacred site. Uh, but it doesn't stop them from doing it. Unfortunately, it, it doesn't have any teeth. It, it's not like a law that would prevent them from mining there. Yeah, I guess that's a misunderstanding on my part. It sounded like, yeah, it would inherently get some kind of higher level of protection, but uh... well, yeah, we we think it should. You know, you you know, the idea that you can, you know, destroy an area that's, you know, that the the government acknowledges has great cultural and religious significance to Native Americans. It it's sort of counterintuitive that 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 would not offer additional protection, and I certainly right. think it should. Uh, that's just just not the way it works. Interesting. Uh, so the next, the following year, I believe, twenty seventeen, the Save Oak Flat Act was introduced by Bernie Sanders, and um, the representative from uh, Arizona. He's, yeah. his, his name's escaping me at the Ra- moment, but Ra- uh, Rahalva. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, could you provide any any uh, color color for that act and how that played into this? Yeah, that you know, once we we knew that you know by by the land exchange act that became law that um, 
Oak Flat could not be given to the mining company. The ownership could not convey until, you know, publication of the final uh, environmental impact statement. So uh, what we, you know, tried to do for a long time was, you know, to make sure that strung out as long as possible, you know, to give us more time to maybe pass, get, get the Save Oak Flat Act passed because let, let's face it, like anything else that we do will not constitute permanent protection of the area uh, unless we get some legislation passed. That That's really, you know, everything else is just stalling, if you will. And to, to permanently protect Oak Flat, there's going to have to be legislation. And, and so the, the Save Oak Flat Act um, the first versions of it, and that, that's been introduced in several different Congresses now, the Save Oak Flat Act simply repeals Section 3003 of the uh, FY 2015 National Defense Authorization Act. That's, that, that's all it said. It was like a one-line a one piece of legislation. The most current version uh, of that act that was introduced this year by Grijalva and, and Sanders in the House and Senate, respectively. It goes beyond that. It reverses, it, it repeals Section 3003, but it also permanently withdraws by an act of Congress, Oak Flat, from all mineral appropriation in the future. So kind of kind of go back to the status it was in the 50s, uh, not by uh, executive order, but would it return back to what we originally started with about 60 years ago? Yeah. And, and, and it covers more area The the current, you know, for, first of all, today, as we're speaking that, you know, the, the withdrawal that was made during the Eisenhower administration, that, that still is in place, you know, and, until mm. the land exchange goes forward, it, it will be in place, but that only covers, yep. 760 acres out of the 2400 that uh, resolution copper would get and the withdrawal that's that's in the save oak flat at covers the entire 2400 acres so is that uh how, how what's the status of that is that looking like it's gaining some steam or gaining some support yeah it, i think so i mean it it has uh, somewhere between in the house it has somewhere between 30 and 40 co-sponsors um they had a, a hearing on that bill just a, a couple of weeks ago uh, in the Natural Resources Committee and the sub subcommittee on uh, Indigenous Affairs. And uh, right now the bill's going through what they call markup. And Congressman Grijalva intends to bring the bill to the floor uh, for a vote in the House as, as soon as possible. I, I would expect that maybe within a month or so. Okay. Um, you know, in, in the Senate, obviously, it, it's going to have a, you know, a harder time passing with uh, the Senate being very evenly, evenly divided. We'll see what how that shakes out. Uh, it's been a, just a lot of up, ups and downs, I feel like, since since the early 2000s, uh, kind of a, a roller coaster of emotions here. We see things kind of going south for climbers and then we catch a break. And then I kind of see the things going south again, catching that break, stall things out. Um, and then now fast forward to 2020, 2021 with that EIS being withdrew, 
or withdrawn, excuse me. What uh kind of where are we at now? Uh we we're waiting uh, we waiting for some other things to to uh get buttoned up here. We got the safe oak oak flat at to look forward to and and uh keep tabs on. And what what do you think the future holds uh for oak flat and and for climbers and the indigenous interest there? Yeah, well that that's that's a really good question. Um you know, I I'll say this though. I I'm a lot more optimistic now. Uh than I was a, a couple of years ago, uh, that we're going to be successful in saving Oak Flat. You know, when when Republicans controlled the the Senate uh, and the House, and Donald Trump was was president, um, I, I didn't. You know, I I gave things maybe a you know a two percent chance of of success because what we would need to do is get a change in administration a change of, of the makeup of of congress and you know now now we have that so uh, i think our odds are a little bit better it, it's just uh you know it's 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 a tough uphill battle resolution copper is uh it, it's owned by two of the largest mining companies in the world you know the uh, Rio Tinto and, uh, BHP. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got more lobbyists working on this than the access fund has on its entire staff. So, you know, they, they have the, the money and the resources to unfortunately, largely, largely get what they want. And, uh, you know, we, we have to avail ourselves of, uh, you know, of the legislature, but we also have to avail ourselves of, you know, public opinion. And, and so that's, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing uh, here, you know, interviewing me for this reason, because the more people who know what's really going on out there, uh, I think the better for us. Uh, I think most people would agree that, you know, destroying someplace that's, you know, culturally and religiously significant to Native Americans is is not a not a good idea. Um, I, I think most people would agree that, you know, something that's going to use 250 billion gallons of water in Arizona when we're in a when we're in the 20th year of a severe drought, I think most people would would agree that that's not a good idea. I mean, we, we already have critical water shortages here. And uh, in, in Pinal County, where, where this mine would be, uh, the state of Arizona is already predicting uh, 8.1 million acre foot shortfall of water in the next hundred years. And, wow. and this is going to use all that much more water. So, so clearly, the, the only way that Resolution Copper can get their water for this project is by taking it away from somebody else. They, they have to take it away from residential or agricultural users in order to have the water for this mine. And I think most people would not agree that that's a good idea. Yeah, and I think most people might not think about that element of this. Uh, I I don't think I I, I surely didn't. Um, there's more going on than when what meets the eye as as you read through read you know read over these kind of things. 
Um, I mean, there's so much information out there for us to read up on for Saving Oak Flat. It's been under the microscope of Access Fund for a long time, and it's been in the news, in their news recently. I, you know, I feel like I've seen them post about it several times over the years. And yeah, it wasn't really till I, uh, you know, recently that it really came to higher my radar to, to read up on. And, and between that and bear's ears, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on between climbers and, and, uh, indigenous communities and resources these days. Yeah, that's, that's certainly true. And, and, you know, it, 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 the, the land exchange almost could be looked at as a poster boy for bad legislation. You know, it's, and, and that's the reason why, the land exchange legislation never did pass on its own merits through Congress in 10 years. You know, the, the water usage and pollution, uh, the violation of uh, indigenous rights, religious rights, and, and the loss of recreation, it, it's, there's, there's plenty of reasons to oppose this bill. Uh, you know, and, and the only thing, you know, so it, what the downsides are, are, are pretty clear. Um, the upsides are, are much less clear since Resolution Copper is, is owned by, you know, Rio Tinto and BHP, which are foreign entities. You know, the profits are going to flow out of the country. Uh, there's not smelting capacity in the United States for the copper. So the copper concentrate is going to be shipped offshore. So it's going to be smelted in some foreign country, you know, possibly China. And, and so the copper is going to leave the, comp- the country. The profits are going to leave the country. And the only thing the United States is guaranteed of getting is 1.6 billion tons of toxic tailing material piled up on several square miles. Great deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some, some great deal. <laughs> uh, I say that with a heavy dose of sarcasm. Oh boy. Um, well, I, uh, I feel encouraged by your encouragement. I can see why you feel you're feeling more encouraged these days than, than previous, than previous years. Where can, uh, where can climbers learn some more and, and possibly help and get involved if they'd like to? Well, we, we tried to keep the uh, Oak Flat page uh, up to date on, on, on the Access Fund. So you can, you can look there. there. There's also another organization called the Arizona Mining Reform Coalition, which uh, you know, tries to keep mining entities uh, operating responsibly in, in Arizona. And they, they usually uh, also are, are very up to date on, on what's going on. And of course, you know, if you, if you want to follow the uh, progress of the Save Oak Flat Act, uh, if you go to congress.gov uh, and you search for H.R. 1834, which is the House version, or S915, you'll, you'll find out what all of the, uh, the actions are. Uh, with with respect to those two bills. Gotcha. And so a term came up that I, I don't think I was familiar with before before reading up on this was a uh, companion bill. Could you could you give me a, a, a quick definition of companion bill before we uh, button things up here? 
Yeah, that's that's pretty simple. A, a, compa- a companion bill simply means, uh, you know, for something to become law, it has to pass in the House of Representatives and the Senate both. And so right. uh, Bernie Sanders' bill is the companion bill to Grijalva's, uh House bill and, and vice gotcha. versa. Okay. So, for example, when the, like, the Great American Outdoors Act was, was about to get passed or was going through Congress – there's, you know, there's the, there's a Senate version and a house version, and then those two will make up the companion bill. Yeah. Those are, those are companion bills. You you would say, you know, yeah. those are companion bills. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That makes, yeah, it, was, it seems pretty self-explanatory, the term itself, but uh, I just wanted to, to uh, clarify that. And I will link those, uh, those resources up in the show notes, the access funds, Oak flat page, the, Arizona Mine Reform Coalition's page and congress.gov so folks can uh, take the time to read up on that. All right, Kurt, one last question for you that I ask everyone on the show as we're uh, wrapping up. What is your definition of advocacy? Uh, well, a- advocacy, I, I guess at, at the heart of advocacy is, you know, getting getting what you want. You know, there, there are things that we we believe in very strongly that we that we advocate for and Saving Oak Flat is, you know, is is one of those things. And advocacy, you know, leads to hopefully prevailing, you know, in, in getting the things that we want, like like saving Oak Flat and saving Bears Ears and you know, because you know, advocacy either succeeds or it or it doesn't succeed, but it's it's that attempt to, you know, move things forward in the direction that we believe is is correct. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year and, of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or, better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you can that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you helped me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll catch you all next time.